Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Christina Cordova was a 28th employee at Stripe and grew their partnerships arm from the ground up. Most recently, she led platform and partnerships at Notion, which included starting the growth product team. In this episode, we discuss how to build a partnerships team from scratch, what to look for in BD hires, and the ins and outs of successful dealmaking. Christina is an active angel and advisor. You can hear more from her by following CJC on Twitter. Hope you enjoy. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I, I want to start with you kind of introducing your career a little bit. And, and the prompt is, imagine talking to someone out there who's interested in the career that you're having, but maybe 10 years uh, younger. And I want you to sort of give an overview of, of what a career in partnerships or BD could look like. What is sort of the evolution of what that could look like? And maybe we start with you just detailing your eyes. Yeah, sure. So uh, I graduated from college with a political science degree. Um, unfortunately, there's no uh, partnerships or business development major. So uh, you know, ultimately, you can you can start with any education that you think would be relevant. I also took some computer science classes prior, primarily just because I felt like I wanted to be useful in conversations uh, with engineers, um, knowing that I did want to go into tech at the, at the tail end of my college experience. So from there, I basically uh, applied for a bunch of like large tech jobs, got one at Google. And then my TA from one of the computer science classes I was taking in the like spring quarter, like right at the end of the school year, had basically created this app called Pulse. It was a mobile news reading app and he needed someone to help him with the business side. And I was like kind of the annoying student in the class who would be like, hi, like you haven't posted the homework yet. Can you post it? Um, and um, he was like, oh, like, would you be interested in this? And, and I, I said yes. So instead of traveling or doing something fun in between that and my full-time job, I, I worked for him for free. Um, and I loved the experience, just like everything that I would get to do is effectively this, this company's first employee with two co-founders. From there, um, I took my big tech company corporate job, realized that I hated it and that I was in something akin to like operations and that wasn't you know, really something that interested me, which was great. I figured that out quickly. And seven weeks later, I went back to the startup that I was working at for free. And, and thankfully, they decided to finally pay me. That was great. Yeah, I was, you know, uh, quote unquote, like VP of business development, <laughs> fresh out of college, no experience, had never done anything before. Classic early stage startups giving away titles too easily. Um, and yeah, from there, I did everything from um, sourcing uh, literally hundreds of media partnerships to get content onto the app um, with you know folks like the BBC News or the Wall Street Journal. And then I led a number of our strategic uh, distribution 
uh, partnerships. So thinking about how could we get this app into the hands of more people, uh, we focused on partnerships with the likes of Amazon, AT&T, Verizon, um, OEMs, carriers, that kind of a thing. So effectively, everything I was doing, I was learning by doing. Uh, you know, the founders uh, will say the same thing about their experience, like nobody had done anything like this before. And after about two and a half years, um, I got introduced to some folks from Stripe um, and got to know them over the course of uh, of a couple of years, or sorry, uh, a few months actually. And from there, I ended up joining the company uh, also to do partnerships. And I uh, was the first hire to do that and uh, had to figure out how to translate my experience in like media and um, doing some OEM carrier deals into doing the kinds of partnerships that made sense for Stripe, uh, which were everything from distribution to product partnerships to platform partnerships and really kind of ran the full gamut. And I worked at the same time very closely with a number of engineers to build products. Uh, and that was, I think, a really great experience for me because I got to both be a business person and on the product side. And I, I like to be kind of in between those two parts of the company with the roles that that I look at now. And so from there, I uh, basically built out a team from scratch. I was, you know, 24 going to 26, um, hiring a bunch of people who were far more experienced than I was, and really enjoyed that experience of, um, you know, going from, you know, a team of, of one, um, and just working my butt off to um, a, a large team of people, and then eventually multiple teams um, that I was managing. And then from there, I went on to basically lead a business unit working on new financial services products. So uh, that was a great way to say, you know, great, I've learned all of this in partnerships and business development. I now want to expand that to working on product and I manage product managers, engineers, um, and a number of other functions to kind of basically get brand new products up and running from zero to one. And then I made a move after seven and a half years at Stripe uh, to Notion. Uh, where I joined to lead our platform and partnerships efforts. So a uh, number of APIs uh, that we had to build out so that um, third parties could connect to Notion and build integrations. Um, then I managed the partnerships on top of that. And I also managed our growth product team and got that off the ground. So thinking a lot about the onboarding experience, sign up, conversion from free to paid. So yeah, like I look at my career and I like to think about it as like someone who kind of is somewhere in between uh, business and product, and also likes to learn new things and work with great yeah. people. Awesome. And, and so take yourself back to you're just graduating college and you have, you know, like many people out there, they have, um, they're, they're good with people. They like working with people and they could pursue something in, uh, in partnerships. They can pursue something in sales. They can pursue other different types of careers. What is the framework they should think about to think about like, is partnerships or BD sort of the right career for them? Sort of where the forks in the road are, like where they could rise up within it. How do you sort of think about that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've seen a lot of people either you know, maybe start out in this job or, or make a transition. I think it actually, it is pretty hard to start in this position because I think most companies will not hire anyone, uh, you know, straight out of college for it. 
Um, but you know, it, it does happen. And so when I think about the innate skill set versus like experiences that one um, should have had before, I would say one communication is most critical. Like ultimately, that that is your job, both internally and externally, to communicate effectively about what your company needs and you know how that can work really well in partnership with another company. Um, second, I think you need to be persuasive um, and have some you know maybe innate negotiation skills. Um, so starting with that, I think uh, I, I did a high school debate, you know, so I feel like there was like a little bit in me already, but I had never done any kind of like, you know, business or contract negotiation. But I think the great thing about debate is that it it puts you on both sides. Like generally when you're debating a topic, you both have to prepare for the pro side and the con side. And so you're really putting yourself in the shoes of um, your competitor, right? And I think that's also true for partnerships, uh, where you very much have to put yourself in the shoes of who you want to partner with. And I very much believe in, you know, win-win partnerships um, and wanting to build relationships that can be really long-lasting and not having to feel like, you know, I won um, in in a given negotiation. So that would be one. And then uh, last, I would just say collaboration. You know, I think this is a role where uh, you can't go out there and have tons of conversations with um, other companies and not be able to come back into your company and get something done. Uh, because then you'll just be that person who is great at talking, but not actually doing something. So a lot of that applies to actually working internally at the company and convincing product managers, engineers, et cetera, um, to build something to change their mindset about a particular company and order for you to work with them. And, uh, you know, again, it speaks to the other traits as well. But, uh, but I think you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of those individuals and figure out why the partnership is good for your own product team, for your own engineering team, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I'm not a you know partnerships person by any means. But when I think about the principles that uh, guide my sort of negotiation philosophy, I think the two biggest ones are always know what you want before going in. Mm-hmm. And, then, and often that means like, talking internally with like, just a lot to figure out before you enter a negotiation um, because like precedents are everything. And if you're like, end up switching it up, then, yes. you know, that, that, that ruins stuff. So always know what you want. And then two, maybe like ask for the, the one or two big things you want and be willing to give on a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. H- how about you? What, what, what are negotiation frameworks or, or philosophy that you, uh, that you really take with you? Yeah, uh, I believe in some very similar approaches on, on that front. I think it's it's specifically not just like what you want uh, going into um, a negotiation, but what is like you know an absolute no. Because I've found that when you're asked something and you're like, oh, hmm, that's one I haven't maybe thought of before. Let me let me go yeah. back to my team and I'll noodle on that. You know, you've now opened the door. <laughs> And I find that, you know, if, uh, you know, if someone was asking for like some kind of egregious revenue share or something, like in that moment, you have to be like, no, that is insane. (laughs) And uh, and if you don't do that, then you have opened the door and like made a problem for yourself. Right. So I I, I think um, really understanding like what's off the table and what's on the table is is really critical. Being um, upfront and honest about the things that you, the the person on the other side of, uh, of the table, like can say yes to, and then like also what are the 
other people that need to um, approve or be part of the discussion in order to say yes. You know, the biggest partnerships that I've ever done are never like one person's decision. Um, you know, I'm convincing the BD person, a product leader, a, a CTO, you know, a number of people um, that we're the right partner to work with. So I very much believe in like mapping out the entire organization as soon as you possibly can. So you can understand who are the different people in this organization that we need to convince. And then ideally, like you're not the only person that this company is interacting with. Like, you know, if we need to make sure that the CEO is on board, which if it's a big partnership, you probably should. Um, I'm going to bring my CEO into the conversation and make sure that my CEO and the other CEO are best best of buds. That way, I, I feel like we have touch points throughout different levels within the organization, which I think is particularly critical. Um, so, so that's one thing I definitely like to do. Before getting into like deep contract negotiations, I also love to just put together like a very simple term sheet of like, hey, when we say, like, we're going to do co-marketing, like, like, what exactly do we mean by that? You know, um, are we going to do a joint podcast together? Are we going to, um, you know, put up co-branded billboards? Like, like, what are the things that we're really talking about? Or am I just like emailing my customers on your behalf? Like, like, what are the things that we mean? And getting specific about that and trying to understand, you know, before you start bringing the lawyers in, um, you know, what are the things that are really truly like business decisions um, that we can come to an agreement on relatively quickly? And then uh, lastly, I think uh, another principle that I, I try to employ is just try to understand um, for the person on the other side of the table, like, you know, what is outside of this deal, their broader mandate. Um, so what kind of partnerships do they work on generally? What kind of areas of the business do they focus on? You know, what's going to get that person a uh, promotion? And, you know, for me, like, I want to ensure that, especially if I'm representing like a startup, that them taking a chance on me and this company as a startup is something that, you know, they get praised for, for taking that risk. Um, and so I, I really want to understand like how they're motivated, how they're compensated, how that works uh, so that I can do my best to make them look good. So um, what answer would they give you that you'd be like, Oh yes, you are motivated for taking this risk or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it also gives you some insight as to like where, where you might have to do a little more work or where you may not. Um, so as an example, if someone was, uh, you know, when I did a bunch of media deals, I would work with um, some people who did audience development. And so their primary objective was to just bring more traffic to the website or the properties that they were managing. Um, so that would change my pitch and how I would talk about what I had to offer versus um, often if I was talking to like a uh, business development partnerships person at a media company, like they were more revenue focused. So I had to either change my pitch or try to talk to somebody else because it, like with uh, the particular startup I was working for, we like, we had no, uh, you know, revenue, like uh, sharing model or anything like that quite yet. We were very, very early on, you know, for me, it was like, okay, if this person is, is really targeting revenue, like, Maybe this isn't the right partnership for them. Maybe there's a different person in their org that I should be talking to. Or like, I really need to start thinking about whether we can actually make that revenue side of the, uh, of the equation happen sooner 
So I, I think it's both helpful in terms of like um, crafting your pitch and also trying to understand what's going to make that person say yes and yep. also be really excited. You invest in advise a company as well. Um, and people seek your, your counsel on this stuff. Where, where do you see companies make mistakes or partnerships go awry or, or what's misconceptions people have or, or something not obvious? Mm. I would say a big one is around data and customer ownership. Um, I think a lot of people don't really think about that upfront. And so conversations I'll have with founders who are discussing their very first partnership, um, I'll, I'll effectively say something like, well, you know, do you want to own the the customer? What if, uh, what if they don't want you to like, like, maybe you're going to get customers through this partner, but that partner isn't going to allow you to email those customers or use their email addresses, right? Uh, so you don't really have any opportunity to maybe expand on your relationship with this customer if you don't own contact information um, or certain customer data, right? So I, I do really try to impress upon people like this idea that, you know, it, it may seem like a win-win, but when you really get into the, the nitty gritty and like a term sheet, for example, saying like, we have the right to mark, like co-market to these customers or market to these customers, you know, within reason um, or something to that effect. So um, really understanding like wh- where the data is, who owns it, if you can both share it, um, I think is particularly critical for a lot of startups. And, and I think it's an easy one to miss until the end when the lawyers come in and they're like, oh, no, 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 this is all of our data. But really, you know, it's more of a business discussion that should have been had more so than a legal discussion. Yeah. It's interesting. There's this tension sometimes I notice where, where people will want to avoid being super explicit on certain things because they worry that they won't like the the answer and they hope mm-hmm. that maybe things change or if it's not super explicit, there will be like some leeway or something. They almost prefer the you know potential chaos of, a, of being implicit. Do you... Mm-hmm veer towards always being explicit. How do you think about that? Some partnerships are a little softer and more nuanced than others. So, um, you know, there have been partnerships that I've done where like, like I didn't feel a strong need to get a contract in place, for example. So there, you know, everything's implicit and nothing is explicit. Um, And I think that's primarily because, you know, for example, the partner was using our openly available APIs. They agreed to like, developer terms that were associated with those APIs. Um, There was no explicit reason for why I need to do something grand on top of that. I knew that they wanted to co-market. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the partnership isn't working, if the integration's not working, you know, of course, they can they can pull out and, and stop developing it. And I think you just have to be reasonable with those kinds of things um, and make it your job to, to be a partner that they want to continue to develop with. I think when it comes to things like uh, revenue sharing specifically, or you're talking about working with a very, very large partner that just like doesn't do anything if it's on paper, uh, if it's not on paper, then I would say you kind of have to put those things in place. Yeah, my my strategy for working with like smaller, nimble companies is to, uh, you know, unless it does involve revenue, is, is to typically not paper things and make things a little bit more implicit than explicit. Yeah, make, makes sense. I want to zoom out a bit. And, and and the prompt is, imagine I'm a founder, I'm a technical founder, I have this product that's starting to work and it's starting to grow. Maybe I have 10 employees. 
And now I'm starting to build sort of the rest of the rest of my organization. And I, mm-hmm. I know nothing about partnerships and, and I'm yeah. seeking your counsel. Maybe first you can just outline sort of what are the different types of, of partnerships and, and then how to do them well or, or what you, what examples of companies you've seen them do, do them well, or just like let's outline the ecosystem and then we'll get to the composition of a team and, and that sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'd say the different kinds of partnerships in my mind start with like a foundational partnership, right? And so these are the partnerships that you might need uh, because without them, your product couldn't exist. So in Stripe's world, that would be, um, you know, our partnership with Wells Fargo, which was or is not sure now, uh, our banking partner for a very long time. And, you know, Stripe wouldn't be able to move money without a banking partner. And that's a critical function of the business. So um, that was a very early foundational partnership that we needed to have in place. And so uh, second, you might have what I would define as like product partnerships, which are kind of like foundational partnerships, but um, maybe they're not so critical that your business could not operate <laughs> without them. Uh, again, using a Stripe example, um, we partnered with some companies to offer tax services to our customers. This is before Stripe had its own tax business. A- and that was primarily to say, hey, there's this feature that we don't provide ourselves. Maybe if we integrate with another partner, um, our customers can get that service through the partner um, and have a better experience as a result of it because we're not able to spend six months, a year to actually build that feature out ourselves. And so we had, you know, very, very many of those, including with partners where, you know, it's not possible for us to build the ultimate partnership. So we partnered very closely with Apple Pay at Stripe, for example, where obviously we're not going to build phones and um, enable wallets on phones um, ourselves. But if a company is going to do that, we want that integration between Stripe and Apple to be very, very seamless. Third would be um, a partnership like I would say a little bit more like platform oriented. Um, so I think companies that have done that particularly well, the probably first one that comes to mind would be a company like Slack. So for platform partnerships, it's effectively, you know, you have some typically SaaS offering, um, you're building a suite of APIs and you want developers and businesses out in the world to integrate with those APIs so that your product and their product can work better together. Um, so this in Slack's world, it was everything from like, a polling app that like, you know, some random person not part of a company built. um, And it became like the number one polling app on the entire uh, service. And, uh, you know, was it was a really great product and offering um, that just a single developer created. Uh, And then you also have, you know, companies like Google who are building uh, Google Meet uh, plus Slack type integrations. Um, So basically, you know, think about it as like, an open set of APIs that that anyone can connect to and build an an offering um, on top of. So uh, that would be a platform. And then lastly, uh, you would have um, what I call distribution. So I I think about that as um, kind of like following the customer's journey in a way and trying to understand um, who are the customers that may not come directly to you, uh, but may start using some other service offering first and then can get introduced to your product later. These were the first kinds of partnerships that I worked on at Stripe. And I think Stripe did this particularly well, which was basically thinking um, about non-technical business owners, such as you know an e-commerce store owner who doesn't have a developer in-house and maybe starts using Shopify or Squarespace or something to that effect to set up their online store. And in that process, 
process of setting up their online store, they need payments. And so we developed partnerships with those companies uh, to enable Stripe to be the default payments provider on those platforms. And that way, any customer who would sign up for those services would kind of go through us by default in order to get payments. And that way we were exposed to many, many, many more customers than we otherwise would have been if we waited for that e-commerce retailer to somehow find us some way. Um, And it also reduced the spend that we had to do on marketing um, and a number of other things to kind of target a market that was very different from the developer focus that Stripe had at its core. Foundational. Uh, platform distribution what was the one of it? channel. What was the one? Product. Of it? Product. And how should the composition of a team look like at sort of scale, and and how do you kind of grow into that um, a little bit? Yeah, I think it really depends on the company. Um, you know, I've I've worked with a lot of companies at this point, and I think it all looks a, a little bit something different depending on like what the stage is and what your focus is. Um, at Stripe, for example. We were very, very focused on distribution partnerships at first because, you know, when I joined the company, we didn't have as many customers as we wanted. And we also didn't want to start a sales team. And that was like the alternative. It's like, well, if you don't want to start a sales team, how are we going to get customers? And we also don't have a marketing team. So like, this is going to be pretty difficult. Uh, so, So we started off with partnerships as our way to scale quickly without having to grow the company to a massive size too early, um, especially with a lot of business functions that we, the, the team didn't have you know, experience hiring for at that point. And so uh, distribution partnerships was where we started. Um, and then we started getting enough customers where we started to be attractive from a product partnerships perspective. And so companies like Apple would come to us and say, hey, we're launching this thing called Apple Pay. Are you interested in working with us on it? Um, and that became something that we then had to prioritize. But, you know, obviously had to start with foundational partnerships of like the banks and the card networks and all those things to like be able to function, then distribution, then other product partnerships outside of that scope. And then platform. But I would say platform was generally um, the least appealing, even though it was something that I liked the most because, you know, it didn't necessarily drive tons of direct revenue. It wasn't a make it or break it must have like product integration. So, you know, we didn't necessarily devote as much in in terms of resources there. So the vast majority of the team, I would say, was focused on foundational, which ended up becoming um, a separate team focused on financial partnerships, um, specifically. So banks, card networks, and we brought in people with like kind of more specific industry expertise in that area. Um, We then developed a uh, distribution partnerships team, and then a product partnerships team. And so the combination of all of those um, worked out quite well. And eventually, Stripe grew so much that we needed to start really focusing the product side of the house on specific areas of the product. So looking at it like, okay, we have this great business called um, Stripe Billing. We need to dedicate one person on partnerships to that particular line um, of products. Um, And so I I think the dedicated model with product started working over time uh, once we had a product organization that was large enough um, to to support uh, someone who needed to be full time on it, uh, but it, you know it wouldn't be something that I would do you know from the beginning. In Notion's world, in comparison, um, you know we had we had a really great top of funnel, tons of customers coming to use our product. So like 
the first thing that I did when I came into the company was not focus on distribution. Uh, actually, you know, started working on growth product because you know we were more focused on making sure that those users had a really good experience when they came on board and would stick with us for a long time, and then um, really thinking about how we could use partnerships to improve the product experience with other types of products that you would use in conjunction with Notion, um, and I think that was particularly strategically important because in workspace collaboration. We know that you're like the only tool that you use isn't going to just be Notion, so you have to work well with all the the other um, tools in the in the broader suite. So um, thinking about that, we focused on a lot of partnerships at the beginning that could get us a lot of integrations at very quick scale. So we partnered with um, companies like um, Zapier and in if this and that and um, many of these like automation um, services so that if someone came to us and said, Oh, I want this like, you know, totally long tail integration with notion, we could say, sorry, we're not going to build that. But you know, Zapier has a really great integration with that service and you could hook something up really quickly if you want that integration. So that lit up, you know, thousands of integrations, you know, right at the time that we launched the API. Um, and then of course we started working with companies directly to build integrations as well. So I think it really depends on like, you know, where is the business? You know, where are you looking to grow uh, versus like, where are you performing well? Um, and then at the same time, what is strategically important for the business, you know, out, outside of the context of just like talking to other companies and making things, making things work, you know, for Notion, it was making sure that you are working very, very well with the other tools and services that your businesses use. Um, and for Stripe, it was much more, okay, how do we just scale this and grow really quickly and also start working outside of, you know, this developer bubble um, and start working with businesses, um, you know, outside of that. So I think for most startups these days, I would I would advise to think about one, their customer's journey and how they get to the product and how you can focus on, you know, blasting that out in various ways, depending on what your business is and, and what your industry is. Um, and then second, think about, you know, presumably, you know, if you have foundational partnerships that are relevant for your business. Um, but, um, you know, outside of that, um, really speaking to your customers and understanding, okay, you're using us, but what's the other stack of services, you know, below and above um, our product so that we can start to build really great relationships with those other companies. Yeah. In partnerships, of course, there are times where you as a company have more or less leverage depending on how much you have to offer versus how much you need it, et cetera. And, and so maybe we can go one by one a little bit. Like on the foundational one, that's a, that's a situation where, where you need this partnership to exist. They probably know that or some version of that. I guess what is the key into to doing that well or, or what's a mistake to to avoid when when setting up foundational partnership? Yeah, um, I think I think they're really hard as a startup just because um, you know, you're negotiating with a partner for the very first time. Typically they know they're super critical to your workflow. Um, and generally they tend to be larger companies. Um and they know that they can push you around a little bit because you are a startup, right? So what I would say is 
to not worry too much about the economics of this first deal that you sign, um, but do not sign a long-term agreement. So um, the, the reason for that is if you, if you blow up as a business in a year or two, but you have a five-year contract where you're working with this foundational partner and you're paying these like egregiously high rates, you're putting yourself in a position where you have no ability to get out of it. And it can really hurt the business in terms of what you're capable of doing, um, you know, reducing costs for your customers, those kinds of things. So broadly, I, I would say don't sign a, a long-term contract. Uh, try to put tiers in place uh, for whatever type of arrangement that you have so that as you scale, you get cheaper pricing. Um, and of course, if you, if you don't scale, yeah. then you have other problems. <laughs> but if you do scale, you, you, you know what's going to come. Um, for the business. And, you know, hopefully they're, they're partnering with you because they think that you can scale. If you stay small, you know, it's not really worth their time. And then lastly, I would just, I, I would try to focus on what are the things that can make your product experience unique. And I think that was something that, um, that Stripe did at the time with its first partners, which was really focusing on how you can go from, I've signed up for an account and now I can accept a live transaction. And that was a big difference between, you know, Stripe and let's say PayPal at the time, where it's like, great, you've set up your account, like, we'll approve you in two to three days once we, you know, have an understanding that you're legitimate. And getting a partner to say yes to that was was a big deal. So, you know, I think the economics didn't necessarily matter as much. We were able to renegotiate that deal after a certain period of time. Um, but what we got was the big product win. Um, so I would focus on the things that really differentiate your product um, and prove to the partner like why you deserve it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Zooming out again, what's key to get right in terms of making the partnerships org or the BD org work really well with sales and marketing and the rest of the revenue org? Well, I, I think it depends on your org structure. Typically, you know, start with like, where is BD in, in the organization? I've typically been in BD or partnerships organizations that are in product or their own separate organization outside of sales and marketing. And, and how do you advise founders in terms of how, how they should think about the trade-offs in org chart or like, yeah, how should we think about BD yeah. and org? Yeah. So I would focus on um, what are the kinds of partnerships you think this person, this first person in the role will be doing. So, you know, for example, if you're a very like, you know, revenue focused organization and you're bringing someone on to do distribution and it looks a lot, you know, maybe it's like a little bit more channel focused and a little bit more salesy, like those things, like if you expect that your person will be spending the vast majority of their time there to start, I might put that person in sales. And maybe I might give that person a quota, right? Um, because they are very like revenue oriented, right? The kinds of distribution partnerships that we did at Stripe were were very like deeply embedded into the partner's product. And so um, I was looking for people to bring onto my team who were like very product oriented and had a really strong product sense. And they tended to not be people who had ever been compensated on a quota basis. So it was it just didn't make sense for the team at the time. Eventually, we shifted a lot of those distribution partnerships over to sales uh, once they became, you know, once we kind of built the playbook and these became like much more straightforward standardized partnerships it made sense to say let's move those into you know the org where you can replicate those um uh all the time 
And that was very different from the kinds of partnerships that we wanted to do. So, um, and so broadly, I, I would say, you know, start with a, a, the thought around like, what is this person going to be doing? And like, what are the adjacencies in the current business um, to that kind of function? So, you know, channel sales, definitely most adjacent to sales or channel partnerships closer to sales, you know, something like platform um, at Slack, for example, was very much in the product side of the org and reported up into product. Um and I would say that in organizations where you feel like your deep product partnerships mean that you're like partnering very closely with engineering and, and product, like that makes more sense in, in a product type of organization. Um, but I think you have to ensure that whoever your product leader is, um, you know, looks at a partnerships team and says, oh, that's something that like I'm interested in. I think actually, um, you know, expand a ton of value for the business on, then um, I think you're much better positioned um, to be reporting to that person. Sometimes a product leader will just say, I, this is not my bag. And, um, and then I think it makes sense to, for it to be more of a, you know, kind of separate um, standalone function. Um, you also have like kind of this rise of like the chief business officer these days. And, um, you know, in Stripe's context, that's where we kind of put uh, partnerships ultimately. And it ultimately ended up being its own standalone reporting to the founder. Um, and when I was at Notion, I was reporting directly to the founder of the business. So I think where you view partnerships as particularly strategic and critical to the business, that is kind of what makes most sense to me. But I think it really depends on the organization. Do you think that rise is only going to continue and that that makes sense for, for more companies than, than, than do it currently? I don't think partnerships is universally strategic for every single business. So um, there are a lot of companies that I think are doing partnerships that, that don't necessarily feel um, like they can potentially transform the business in a new and interesting way. Um, and as a result, like, I don't think it should rise to like the sea level in those kinds of organizations. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, broadly organizations have very different kinds of structures depending on their models, you know, like Coinbase, for example, doesn't have a sales org because it's a, you know, a completely different kind of organization from, um, from something like Stripe. Right. Even though you would argue that they're like two, you know, fintech companies roughly of the same size, you know. Um, so I think the models are just are, are just very different these days. And, and when I think about, you know, what are the companies that I would like to join? It's companies where the function has the opportunity to rise to that level. Yeah. Right. Versus a, a company where, you know, I'll talk to the founder and I'll say, tell me about the kinds of partnerships you want to do. And I'll say, you should just hire someone like this and like tuck them into sales. And, and, and I think you'll be better off than trying to hire someone who, you know, is looking to have a broader impact, but the organization and the product doesn't really merit that from a partnership standpoint. Yeah. You know how in sports, you know, fans will be like, hey, if this team had this point guard or this center or this quarterback mm -hmm. or whatever, they'd be so much better. I wonder if as a student of, of, of partnerships, you look at other companies and you're like, wow, they have such a great product, but they're just, you know, under leveraged in, in so many ways because they don't have a partnership org or they don't have a great partnerships org. Is, is there an example that comes to mind just to give listeners a, um, just mm -hmm. a visual of like how partnerships orgs can transform companies? Hmm. 
I mean, I like to think about it. I mean, I feel like there's, it's hard for a visual, uh, you know, it's hard for me to visualize. But what I would say is like, when I think about the visual that, that stood out to me when I was at Stripe and, you know, that was my longest, you know, I was, I was doing partnerships there for six years um, and then moved on to a different role. But, but there, I think it started out with, when I look at a, a dollar of revenue for the business, like where did that dollar come from? And then you're starting to talk about you know, millions and billions of dollars over time. And if I can associate that dollar with a particular partnership, and then I look at the full pie and say, what percentage of our overall business came from a partnership, was made better uh, by a partnership, to me, that feels you know, very, very different and something that feels really strategically valuable for me. And you can look at that and say, look at the impact this team has had. And, you know, for us, that was a combination of, of distribution and, and product partnerships for the most part. And, you know, for the foundational partnerships, it's really easy to see. It's just like every single dollar moves through one of these partners. It's pretty clear. Um, you know, how much of an impact that can have and what it can do for your product experience if you find the right partners. So, so I like to think about it both as like, you know, how do I, how do I look at something that represents the business and feel like, Hey, like this team, this organization, you know, really accomplished a significant portion of, of the overall business. Yeah. It's interesting when we think about partnerships at on deck, there's, it's kind of, um, there's a few different angles that we we could look at it from because we have a few different products. You know, we have a startup accelerator. We have, and so startup we have a number of companies who are looking to, you know, they sell to founders, and so we partner with them, provide deals for the founders. Um, we also did a we did an accelerator with Flexport on logistics, um, and we'll do mm-hmm. a number of others as well, kind of like leaders in their different verticals. And then we have this sort of professional development program for employees. Okay. And then we also have a hiring, you know, marketplace basically. And so when, when you take any specific company, there are like so many ways that we could partner with them that it's almost hard to like structure and organize like, oh, because we offer that. Like, it's like it's, you open a trench code and like, here are the different ways that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and it's like, wait, you're going to help me recruit, but you're also going to help my employees like develop. Are you, what about my, like, are you, are my employees going to leave? Totally. You know, so, yeah. Um, for companies that have like different products, um, and you have to like, you know, have different stakeholders. Like what advice would you give to us or companies like us? Yeah. Or in a similar situation. I feel like there've definitely been conversations that I've had, especially with larger companies where they're like, let's meet and chat about what all the things that we could do together. And so I'm like coming up with like a list and pulling a bunch of people about all the things, yeah. you know, but I really try to narrow it down to two or three that are most critical for the business with this particular partner and really start there and focus on the things that are more critical to you and, and potentially to them as well. And then figure out the things over time that you can, you can add into the partnership to continue to grow it. So yeah. Um, so that's been most useful to me because otherwise to your point, it can be very, very confusing on the other side of the table about like where to even start. Yeah. You, you mentioned at Stripe that you were the first partnership person that you joined for earlier in your, in your career. And there's sort of this tension between, um, as you're growing your team between hiring sort of younger, somewhat generalists and somewhat, you know, uh, you know, older, more seasoned specialists. How do you, how do you think about when you think about composition of a team and when to hire for experience versus when to be able to take take the risk on on slope so to speak? 
Yeah. Well, at the beginning of my time at Stripe, I feel like the first couple of hires I had um, were not necessarily like traditional uh, hires because like I literally could not make those hires. There, like, there was no one in the world who was, um, you know, younger than I was and experienced in BD. As, as I mentioned, it's very rare for you to do this straight out of school. Um, so I just couldn't, you know, recruit people who were who were very experienced um, at the beginning. And so I was focused on, you know, what are the areas in which I am lacking and who are the people who can complement me in some way? And then also just like, where do I need more strength on the team, uh, you know, outside of just core partnerships and try to find someone who, who I can teach the partnership side to. Um, so I, I started with someone who had a background in like VC and finance and was just like, great, like, uh, we have no finance people here. I need someone to help me run some models around these deals to make sure I don't, you know, give away too much money um, to a lot of these early partners. And then my second hire was um, someone who had a product management background, and they actually wanted a product management job at at the company. And I was like, uh, like we have no PM, so maybe when we do one day, like you can switch over to that role, or if you really like what you're doing here, that's great too. And so uh, we started with someone um, that way they could just really blend nicely and easily into like the engineering side of the org at that time. And it was my focus to just like find people who could collaborate well with other teams. And I taught them the partnership stuff and, and they were great. And so it wasn't until my like third or fourth hire where I found someone with previous uh, direct partnerships experience. And by that time, uh, we had made enough progress as a team and it was clear that we were doing things that were really good for the business that it was easier for me to make the pitch to that person that like, hey, you're coming here and you're joining a team that's like already going really well. Um, you don't have to like prove that you know, you're really good at all this stuff. Um, you know, like the, uh, the team here is supporting you and, um, you know, and, and, and broadly going to get you into a place where, you know, we can even do more for the business than what we're doing now. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was easier at that point, um, to convince people, but, uh, but, you know, frankly, the first two people I made offers to declined them. So uh, it took a while for me personally to like find my stride and how I could convince someone that I was like a great people leader, even though like I'd literally never managed anyone before in my life. So um, that that took a while uh, to figure out and, and made me find some people who were a little bit outside of the, the obvious mold for the role. Yeah. Do you see um, partnerships leading to um, acquisitions much or, or just collaborating with, with corp dev in any specific way that that's done well, or not as much as one would think? Um, yeah, for sure. There are a lot of companies that I've spoken to in the past where, you know, at some point I say we could partner, but like, you're probably small enough and interesting enough that we should acquire you. At the beginning, we had no corp dev team at Stripe. And so a lot of this was just working with other product and engineering leaders and saying, hey, is this enough? for us to potentially move forward. But uh, in my experience, having having been through a lot of these things, um, basically acquisitions are very difficult to get done and, and, and very, very few of them actually go through. So uh, I, I kind of like 
always looked at it as an option and then partnered very closely with the corporate development team. Because I do think it's really important if it doesn't go through that you kind of keep those relationships separate. You know, if corporate development ultimately says no on the acquisition, like you'll continue to work with me on the partnership side. And, um, you know, there's like a nice wall up between those two things. So, yeah. Going back to a little bit of an earlier conversation we were talking about as a startup, how do you work with the uh, bigger company? And one thing you mentioned is sort of be flexible in the economics. What are other things to to avoid or make sure you do well in terms of, you know, YC famously gives the advice of like early on, don't spend that much time on it because, you know, they're, they're kind of going to waste your time or, you know, pulling your, they, they can wait, but you can't wait, et, et cetera. Is that advice directionally accurate to, how do you make sure that it's, it's kind of wor- worth your time as, as a startup? Yeah, um, I, I generally agree with waiting, actually. Uh, a, a lot of people I talk to are like, let's do partnerships. And I'm like, ah, you're like a little early. Like, you know, again, yourself in the shoes of the person on the other side of the table. Like, why would I want to partner with you? You have no customers. You have no, like, like you don't yet have anything of value to offer to me, right? Yeah. And so I, I think you have to get to a point where you say, okay, a reasonable person on the other side of the table would say yes to me. And that's when I think you can really start engaging on the partnerships front. Um, Because yeah, I think it's very easy for you to say, let's partner. And then you can fall quickly into the corp dev trap and like talk to someone from corp dev and like, let's partner. And really like, they're just trying to acquire you. And, and I, so I think YC is, is right to give that advice to most folks. Um, But yeah, once you have, once you have enough going um, in the core business, and you have customers that love your product, you have product market fit. Like those are two signals to me that you can start thinking about partnerships. But I don't think it's worth it to do it beforehand. Yeah, and and how about on the uh, uh, on the integration side? Like once you've already made the part, like just making it all work internally. W- what have you seen as as a framework to make sure that that it works really well, or or, or something to to avoid in terms of here's where companies tend to get hung up. This is just on the general partnerships front. Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, from the from the big company perspective, I would say a lot of things tend to get hung up around economics. Um, you know, I think as a larger company, you're just more sensitive to those kinds of things because you know your business metrics and models. Whereas like you know, we were we were flying blind for a lot of the deals that we were doing in the early days of, of of Stripe and had to like renegotiate those deals later. From the startups' perspective, I think uh, to to me, it's it's really about scale and distribution when you're thinking about partnerships. So that tends to push you into the direction of targeting larger companies. And you know, I, I think broadly. You know, I would think about it as like, how do you make sure that if this goes totally wrong and you uh, signed an agreement for the wrong economics, just like you know, I mentioned that that you can get out of it, and um, and at the same time that you're proving to the partner that you know, even though you messed up on you know your modeling, you can still provide a lot of strategic value to the to the company. So, um, so yeah, like, like, I think a lot of it comes down to those things at the end of the day. And there were a lot of deals that I walked away from both when Stripe was small and Stripe was large. A lot of it just came down to like, this partner wants to take us for a ride and uh, wants a lot out of us. And uh, in terms of like roadmap changes, economics, you know, a number of these things. And we just don't 
Like it just doesn't make sense for us. And yeah. knowing like what that line is for you, you know, going into the conversation is really critical. Uh, Christina, thanks for, for coming on the podcast. Uh, is there any yes. uh, place that any plug or any place you want people to send for people to, to learn more? Yeah, sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm CJC there. Um, and that you know, can take you to my website or other places. Um, yeah, that's all. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. This has been a great episode. All right. Thank you. you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.